Susie, we've seen some recent changes to the Corporations Act. Can you tell us a bit about what they are and how they might affect companies? Yeah, sure, Jen. So last week the government announced that it would temporarily amend the Corporations Act so that companies and their officers would be liable for continuous disclosure breaches only if there was knowledgeable, reckless or negligence um, in relation to updates on price-sensitive information like guidance statements. So as I said, the the change is temporary and it's expected to last for around six months Um, and the, the aim is to help insulate business from class action lawsuits, um, particularly as it tries to recover from the impact of COVID-19. And it's been interesting, Susie, because there's been a mixed reaction to these changes, hasn't there? Yeah, that's right, Jen. Look, and on face value, the business community has seen this as a welcome development. Um, however, when you go into the detail, which which I won't do for fear of um, getting too legalistic, but what we're hearing from subject Um, experts in the legal community is a strong message that companies need to continue to comply with their existing continuous disclosure policies with the same degree of oversight and diligence. And and that's what we've been advising our clients. So from our perspective, um, it's no change of approach, Jen. And Craig, you have a, a background in finance and investor relations. What are you seeing investors are wanting from companies when it comes to disclosure at this time, particularly in light of COVID-19? Well, 2020 has certainly been a difficult year for investors, starting with the impact of fires and some floods. Um, and then we see the COVID-19 pandemic um, emerge, um, and it, it, all in the background of some fairly substantial monetary and fiscal um, stimulus um, in an attempt to rebuild the global economy. So um, in in terms of disclosures, management really can, uh, at the moment, uh, given the uncertainty and should only comment on what they know about their business and the sector they operate in and the trends that they're they're observing. Um, Management, as they should be, are understandably cautious about um, uh, making particularly definitive um, forward-looking statements. Um, That alongside companies pulling guidance and some of the disclosure regime changes that we've been seeing mean that investors are really struggling to work out the best way to value a stock. And as it is getting more difficult, what ways are our analysts and investors seeking to, uh, to look at stocks these days? Well, well, investors generally use financial models that are um, that are forward-looking, and um, obviously, given the increasing level of uncertainty in the environment, this has become a, a whole lot more difficult. Um, what we're what we're observing is there's an increased variation in analysts' earnings projections, as you'd expect, and consequently, um, a more divergent view on where they think share prices should be valued. Um, this really creates a challenge for the market and and for companies as well. Um, we're also seeing investors much more focused on balance sheet strength than they have historically been. So management need to um, give a bit more uh, focus in their communications to capital management strategies. Thanks, Craig. And one of the other changes that uh, we've seen to the Corporations Act is is a change to allow virtual and, and hybrid AGMs. Susie, what does this mean for companies and, and is this a good thing for investors? Yeah, look, from our perspective and, and from, from our, you know, company client perspective, it's an exciting time for AGMs. Um, virtual and hybrid AGMs are different from the webcast that companies have kind of typically used to um, provide access to shareholders um, that aren't able to attend the physical meeting. Um, but because they allow 
shareholders to fully participate with questions and online voting. So, but before, you know, companies start to look at that, they really need to check and consider um, whether direct voting is actually possible within their company constitution. There's a lot of companies that um, certainly some of our clients have come up against this recently as well. Just, their um, company constitutions do not allow for this. So you may need to have a legal review of your constitution just to check whether it's possible before looking into it. And here at Cannings, we do work with a, a number of listed companies on their AGMs. As far as virtual and, and hybrid um, solutions, what are you seeing as the pros and cons? Yeah, sure. So the, there's a couple of advantages to to a virtual or hybrid AGM and two that we'd like to, to kind of mention today are access and cost. So Technology really allows all shareholders to have the opportunity to virtually attend and participate in annual meetings, no matter where they are, um, whether they be in Australia or offshore. And so shareholders who can't attend the kind of physical meeting at the allotted time and place are still able to listen into to the AGM um, also at their own, own time. Second um, advantage that we see with the virtual AGM is that they are a lot more cost efficient and, um, and you know, instead of having this big costly kind of physical AGM, it's all online. So it, it, it's, a, it's one way of um, kind of reducing some costs in that area. Although one thing to consider is if you if companies do decide to have a hybrid approach, which is a combination of the physical and the online, then you still got the cost of the physical meeting. Um, and then on the downside, um, there's been some comment on this recently that virtual AGMs may limit the robustness of discussions and and um, and quite the Q and A kind of session. And also, I know for for a lot of the kind of more self funded retiree shareholders who like to um, attend AGMs in person, they don't have the opportunity to meet the directors and, you know, have a tea with them after the AGM. Um, we know that's kind of a, a factor that's quite important to them. Um, and the, the second one there is that um, live voting. I know a lot of companies like to, um, you know, we'd like to be as prepared as possible and with the virtual AGM and the live voting um, we don't have the same opportunity to have the advanced voting, um, which you would with a physical AGM, which allows the companies to really be quite prepared for um, the potential voting outcomes and engage with shareholders in advance of the AGM on any key issues. Thanks, Susie. And, and Craig, while we're talking about the AGMs, what are the expectations that companies are going to have to meet in terms of what investors want to hear from them about at the AGMs and what are some of the likely questions that they'll face? Yeah, so we're obviously not in, operating in a BAU environment at the moment and so expectations from shareholders are likely to be different. Um, uh, shareholders are probably going to want additional colour on a number of things, predominantly um, the current operating environment, which obviously will be um, will be more complex than, than than the usual, and how that's impacting on trading performance. Uh, as I mentioned before, capital management initiatives and balance sheet management are going to be um, a, a, 
a heightened level of focus and particularly in terms of debt levels and serviceability of debt. Um, and performance of the business will obviously affect how, how in much investors are interested in that particular topic. Um, implications of this company strategy now in response to the current environment will also be a key point. Um, any trends that they're seeing that are emerging which may influence the future and therefore um, what that means for their longer term strategy. Uh, and there will be obviously interest in the COVID-19 response and that, that appropriate governance measures are in place to ensure safety for employees and other stakeholders. And Susie mentioned earlier about the concerns from some of the investor groups about making sure that AGMs continue to have robust questioning of boards. Um, what are some of the things that companies and boards can do to to make sure that uh, that this happens? Well, yeah, obviously a, a key part of an AGM and an important part of the inter interaction with investors is a robust and transparent conversation, um, and part of that question and answer session with with invest with uh, shareholders. Um, in the context of a virtual or hybrid um, AGM. The shareholder question process is as critical a part of the AGM, but probably a little bit more challenging to manage. Um, so it's a couple of things. It's important to be clear with participants how questions and answers will be handled. And there, there may be different ways to submit questions. For example, questions could be submitted online only, or they could be submitted prior to the meeting. So it's very important to be clear about how that will work so shareholders are, are prepared for that. Um, it's also worth spending some time agreeing protocols for answering questions with board members and management. Um, so speakers are very clear on the process for answering those questions. In a room, it's a bit easier, but when it's online, it may be a bit more complicated. And lastly, I was keen to uh, ask each of you, you know, it's been interesting times in investor relations. Which company's COVID-19 survival story has really grabbed your attention and, and why? Craig, perhaps if we start with you. Yeah, thanks, Jen. So, look, I, I was thinking about the Virgin Australia administration, um, partly because I like to travel, and that's not really um, uh, a possibility at the moment so much. Um, but it's also attracted a lot of immediate attention, so that's of great interest and, um, and and has been an interesting process. I mean, travel industry has been heavily affected by this pandemic, obviously, and um, airlines are having to manage through an unprecedented drop in traffic, unprecedented being the word of 2020. Um, it, it, it's a, it is an interesting process, and but the real the thing I find most interesting is the challenge that this company's management and the administrators and the successful bidder will have to navigate in terms of trying to balance um, between managing the current environment and keeping the business um, afloat and to, to survive through to the other side of this issue this um, pandemic, and then. On the other hand, positioning it to be able to rebuild or potentially um, reinvent itself uh, in down the track. Um, this is really complicated for something like the airline industry, where the, there's so so much uncertainty in when on when things will go back to some some semblance of normalcy, and even indeed what that sort of normal new normal is. It seems like that story uh, has a quite a long way to go. We're just starting to see uh, airlines talking about restarting their domestic travel routes. But, uh, yeah, that will be an interesting one to follow. Susie, what about from your perspective, which one's really uh, grabbed your attention? Yeah, look, I think there's, 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 been, there's been quite a few and, and Virgin, um, Craig Virgin has been um, 
a, a great example and has grabbed a lot of attention for sure. Um, we can't also forget Qantas, where I think Alan Joyce and his team have done an excellent job in communicating um, the challenges ahead for, for Qantas. But separate to the travel industry, one that's grabbed my attention um, has been Wes Farmers. And it's because I've been quite impressed by their approach to making the most of you know, this really challenging time for, for companies. And they've seen quite a lot of activity at their end. They've, you know, they've sold down their stake in Coles. They've announced their plan to consolidate um, some of their Target and Kmart stores. And they've been big on investing in the digital um, platform for Bunnings, which generates around 50% of their earnings. And, and Bunnings, so fascinating, has only implemented its online shopping platform two years ago and it's been an absolute standout performer um, for Wes Farmers with the whole do-it-yourself trend. And I've been really impressed by their innovative approach in Bunnings to, um, to you know, c- customer serving the customer and the drive and collect model um, is a great example of that. And then on the investor relations side of things, they've done an excellent job of, you know, providing regular, clear updates about their business and the impact. And so overall, uh, Wes Farmers would be my pick, Jen. Yes, I'm sure that I wasn't alone in uh, having regular visits to Bunnings uh, during the peak of the crisis when uh, we were all at home getting some of those jobs done. So, look, thanks very much for uh, for joining us today. Thanks and and look forward to uh, hearing more. Thanks, Jen. Thank you.